Hi, friend. Welcome to Open at the Top. I'm your host, Melanie McCulley. I believe that regardless of what your past looks like, we each have the opportunity to begin again in every moment. I've learned that when we choose love first, the possibilities waiting on the other side of our fear are infinite. Each week, I'll share my own wild and unedited stories of what radical change and transformation can look like, along with having the raw, deeper conversations with inspirational, game-changing guests. My intention is to inspire you and guide you into your next phase of becoming the unique, beautiful version of you that you were always meant to be, and to lovingly remind you that we each have the power to turn our pain into a purpose-driven life filled with joy and meaning. That unfolding journey begins now. All it takes is the willingness to remain open at the top. Let's dive in. Hello, and welcome back to Open at the Top. I am so happy you're here with me again. This is episode five. The title is Magic Mel and How I Found God in the Strip Club. That's kind of loaded right there because I spoke about this episode leading up to it in episode four about what magic Mel means. And that comes from, you know, there's a little humor in that one because I have to find humor in everything. That's how I make sense of most of the things in my life. When that movie Magic Mike was made, that was based on a male dancer in the 1990s in Tampa, Florida. And I started dancing when I was 17 in Tampa, Florida in 1995. And I had just gotten out of drug rehab. Didn't waste any time. You know, I was basically on the track of making one good decision after the next with the amount of tools I had in my toolbox at the time. So the other part of the title is how I found God in the strip club. So I'm going to talk about what had happened, you know, and how I got into that environment and that that culture, because it was a culture at that time. And then I'm going to fast forward a little bit to when I was 30 and when I started in my spiritual studies and I was having a profound shift of awareness with who I am, who God is to me, my my own definition and understanding. Because up until that point, when I was 17, remember, I had come from the Jehovah's Witness religion. I had left that organization very young at 15. And then I was out in a very, very fast paced drug lifestyle. And then experienced that really profound and scary, but also life shifting overdose, where I experienced something other than what I'd ever been told. And so... Needless to say, I was a very confused young woman, but still extremely determined to be independent and to find my own way in the world in whatever way that looked like away from the organization I was raised in and just trying to figure it all out. And so right when I moved out of drug treatment, I was 17 years old. I'd moved back in with my parents for a very short time. They saw very quickly that I was not going to stay there. It wasn't the right place for me. So I moved in with a close girlfriend of mine who at the time was going to community college during the day and was working in a strip club at night. And I knew nothing about this world. I really didn't. I knew nothing about it. Totally naive. I was extremely green in all areas of that. 
And in the 90s, like I said before, at that time, and, it, and in the community of people I was associating with, it wasn't an odd, strange thing for someone to work in a strip club. I had a lot of really close straight guy friends that would dance at night in a lot of the male gay clubs. And a lot of my girlfriends are working in bikini bars or waitressing or bartending or actually dancing in different strip clubs that were scattered all around the Tampa Bay area at the time. And it was not a odd thing to everyone go meet at the dollhouse or at a certain strip club in town and meet for drinks first prior to going out to whatever restaurant or bar anybody was going to go to. So there's a place that I worked at called Scarlet's. It was in uh, Tampa, and it was considered one of the classier joints. Uh, the girls wore long gowns and high heels. There were no poles. This was before all the uh, wild stage dancing went on, and it was considered to be more of a classier joint. So I figured, you know, okay, that's the place for me. Keep it classy. And my friend at the time, who still is actually one of my closest, best friends ever. I consider her a sister. But at the time she was, um, she is older than me. She's about three or four years older than me. And she basically taught me the ropes. At the time I was still working at that hair salon where my boss had kept me that job. I had enrolled myself into a local community college. I had no clue what I was doing, but just going to community college because I had gotten my GED while I was in treatment. And, um, you know, I was just trying to make better decisions. And I remember at one point my girlfriend said to me, you're only making like $9 an hour at your job. You know, you could work at night and make some extra money while you go to school. And so that sounded great to me. But she's like, well, the problem is you're only 17 and you're not going to be 18 for a couple more months. It was like two, two months before my 18th birthday. So anyways, she talked to her manager there. And obviously this is horrible, but he hired me anyways, underage and allowed me to work there. And I wasn't allowed to drink, but I could still work. And basically I was just taught how to work, what to wear, how to talk to these older male customers. And I was instantly in this wild new world of making way more money than I knew what to do with and having a very skewed idea of, of all of it, of everything. And there was under always this underlying need this underlying wound that I had to be taken care of, that I wanted someone to help me, to rescue me, to take care of me, to swoop in and make it all better. And I know now that a lot of that came from my daddy issues that I had with leaving home so young and not having really clear and unconditional care from a strong male figure in my life. And so at that time, it was the perfect storm for me to enter into this world of dancing. And I obviously made a lot of poor choices. And even though it was a lot of it was in the name of fun and I had, was making money and I was able to buy myself all these things that I would never have been able to afford. I didn't come from a lot of money. I was always raised well and had everything I needed. But, you know, also coming from basically couch surfing and shoplifting and that kind of lifestyle for a while. Before I'd gone into treatment, this was like, I was so proud of myself. But again, this was a big secret, 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 secret. And it only lasted for so long. And in that time, it was about a year that I, that I worked in these clubs. I would travel uh, a little troop of girls. We would pack our bags for the weekend and travel to New York. And I worked at scores in New York and I would go to the men's club in Dallas and I worked in Orlando and I worked in Atlanta 
And it was just this normal lifestyle. But there was moments where I can remember even then being that young because I'd already been exposed to therapy and counseling through treatment when I was in treatment. It was mandatory, which was a godsend and amazing. I remember even thinking to myself, even at that young of an age, wow, the stuff that I'm doing right now and the choices I'm making and the things that I am consciously making a choice to do, I'm going to need a lot of therapy later. (laughs) And then I just ignored it. And there was always that, that duality within me. And, and I, and I don't say that in in a negative way. I, I can clarify it now and be clear with what that was, but I've always talked about it as the two Melanie's. There's the Melanie on the one shoulder that has the red patent outfit on and basically like a, you know, stripper outfit. And she's the bad girl that's, you know, makes all the fun slash poor choices. And then I have this other version of Melanie on the other side of me whispering my ear that's like, no, go to bed. No, don't do that. No, that's not a good idea. You know, that's not going to make you feel good. You know that that, you know, and there would definitely be times where I could hear clearly both of those messages and I would... I would definitely, I can, I can even remember this. I would, I would make the choice to listen to the poor choice, even though I knew it was the poor choice. We in, um, in the new thought world talk about the small, still voice that exists within all of us. We can call it spirit. We can call it God. We can call it our higher self. We can call it our conscious. We can call it our intuition. That still small voice, the girl in the white on one shoulder is always looking out for me, always knows the right answer is kind of whispering into my ear what it is of the quote-unquote right thing for me to do next. But what I know for sure now is that when we consciously make the choice to do the alternate thing, the seemingly bad thing, if we're able to catch the nugget later on, we have the opportunity to learn and grow from it. So I share all of this with you not to glorify it, not to tell war stories and all of that. But this was a very profound time in my life because this definitely skewed all of my my filters about who I was as a woman, what sex was about, what sensuality meant, what sexuality meant, what I liked, what I didn't like, how I felt about my body, my, my, my personal body image. Um, I had always had very confused thoughts about my body physically and sexually because of the way I was raised as a Jehovah's Witness where you don't touch your body, it's dirty, you don't masturbate. You know, there's certain things where it's just like the body is is only used for basically making babies and, you know, you don't go there with your body. And so now I'm 17 years old and I am basically showcasing a very sexual version of myself, which basically was all acting, you know, and I was so young, I didn't know what I was doing. I was basically following the leader of whoever I was around. And that definitely began to cause a lot of future problems down the line when it came to intimacy and the idea of what my body is good for and what how I can show up fully in a relationship, not only with myself, but with a partner. And so that, that environment, um, only lasted for so long. I ended up quitting my day job in the salon. I ended up stopped going to community college. And now I was just a full-time dancer. And with that came a lot of, again, fun times, but also a lot of danger, not only for myself, but everyone in in my environment. It was a very drug fueled culture 
And at the time I started dating a guy who um, was a wonderful man, but was in that world as well. And he was dealing drugs. And so were all of my friends, to be honest with you. It was, you were either a stripper or a drug dealer. And that was kind of the world I lived in. And because of that, um, one morning I was at my home, which I shared with my girlfriend at the time. And my, uh, I had a knock at the door and I had had people there partying there all night long. And, uh, my house was raided by a lot of police officers with a lot of big guns and vests on. And it was one of the most terrifying moments of my life. And, you know, they raided my whole house, went through everything. They were looking for something, which obviously I had nothing to do with what they were looking for, but I was connected with that environment. I was connected with those people. And so uh, that trickled into my life. And so that was when I really started to try to, I was 18 at this time, almost 19. That's when I really started realizing I needed to get out of this lifestyle and try to live a quote unquote normal life. Now, this is where it's kind of funny, funny to me, because I realized I needed to get a real job. I couldn't, I could not be in this dancing world anymore. And I needed a real job. So I was living in Clearwater at the time. And I started working at Hooters, which in Clearwater is the original Hooters. And at the time I thought, well, this is a good job. I'll work there. There's this essence of sexuality that I, that I know how to use now in a way to make money. And so I'm going to just move into this waitressing job, which by the way, I was the world's worst waitress. And if you're the world's worst waitress at Hooters, then you're just a bad waitress. <laughs> so I'd broken up with the other boyfriend, moved in with my older sister again, working at Hooters, trying to get my life together. And I met the first real love of my life there. Um, and he was there in Clearwater on spring training. He was a baseball player. And that was when my life took another huge turn when I'd only known him for maybe two and a half, three months max. And I ended up moving with him to Pennsylvania where he played baseball. And so I went from this wild drug lifestyle to then being in drug treatment, having this wild life after life experience, which I was still keeping secret, not talking about that, and had gone back into the drug world. Now, by the way, I when I left drug treatment, I made a commitment with myself that I wasn't going to do cocaine anymore because in my mind at the time, I thought that was just the problem. The problem was cocaine and everything else was manageable. So then I start dancing and there's this whole wild lifestyle change. My house gets raided. By the way, after that raid of my house, they did not have a warrant to come into my house. I was at work a couple weeks later. This was right before I quit dancing. And a couple out of uniform police officers came to the club and were looking for me because they knew where I worked from when they asked me all the questions when they had me handcuffed in my house. And said, told my manager that there was a warrant out for my arrest. I needed to contact them. Long story short, I had to end up turning myself in for a day. I'd already, you know, arranged an attorney and all of that. And um, it was under possession of LSD. At 18 years old, just being out of drug treatment and having to turn myself in with a charge of possession of LSD. That's a really big deal. But because it was a legal search and seizure and I had a good attorney, 
those were dropped, thank God, and was never on my record. But I have to tell you, I still have a picture of my little mugshot. I look so scared and I still have the paperwork I had to do because it keeps me humble and it keeps me honest. And so with all of that happening, when I met my ex-boyfriend at the time, I'm not going to say names of anyone or too many details just because I think that's really respectful. Um, it was like that, that love, that male figure coming into my life and rescuing me and getting me out of there and giving me a new start, giving me a new idea of life, giving me a new way of living and to escape, to run away. And so from the age of 19 to almost 22, I lived all over the baseball life and, you know, pseudo baseball wife and lived in Pennsylvania for part of the year and then South Florida for off season and then back in Clearwater for three months of the year for spring training. And I did that for three years and it was a wild life. And I was definitely living in someone else's shadow, which I wasn't used to that. And I learned so much about so many things. And I also learned that I will never be in a relationship with an athlete again but that's just my own personal experience. Uh, but when he and I broke up, that was a huge, my biggest heartbreak ever. And I had to start over and move back to Clearwater and started dancing a little bit again, just to make ends meet. And while I was with him in that relationship though, I'd gotten my manicuring license to do nails. And so I was doing nails during the day in all these really beautiful high-end athletic clubs and spas in the Tampa Bay area. And I was also dancing a little bit here and there just to pay my bills, to be honest with you. I always hated it. I didn't like it. And again, it was a big, huge secret. So with that, I have to say, um, and I'm I'm just going to skim over the whole baseball life because I I really don't want to get into too much detail about that, but it literally changed me. And when I came back, um, I had a different idea of how to live, how I wanted to live. And I was also extremely jaded by men at that point because my heart was completely broken with that relationship failing. So I want to pause there and give you a quick snippet of what happened in between. But I want to fast forward to what happened later on when I found, quote unquote, God in the strip club. So. When I was living in Tampa and working in the salon world and all of that, I had always wanted to be an actress. When I was a kid, I wanted to model and be an actor and do stage and go in commercials. And my parents were always like, no, 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 we don't do that. You know, acting is not for us, you know, being a Jehovah's Witnesses. And so I was never able or allowed to do any of that. And so it was always, it was always in my mind that I wanted to pursue that. I wanted to try it. I felt like I had something to offer. and other Everyone told me that I did. And so there was something within me that really wanted to try it out. So when I was living in Tampa, I decided that I was going to move to Orlando, which is like two hours away from Tampa, and enroll myself in acting school and go full throttle. Why not just go for it? And so I did. I picked up and I moved. I made this decision within like two weeks. And I moved to Orlando and I went to um, acting school and very quickly got my SAG card within a year and uh, was going to casting calls and doing all this stuff. Also began to discover the partying cocaine world again and started spiraling out a little bit in that world. And long story short, ended up moving to Seattle and I lived four years of my life there, got sober for two years, for real got sober had a sponsor, worked the steps, worked with others, 
sponsoring other women, working in treatment centers to, you know, host meetings. It was a really, it was a game changer for me. And I'll go into more of that another time and more on all that later, because that's all a big chunk of my life. That was when I was in my uh, early 20s into my late 20s. So, but I want to fast forward right now to, to the second part of the title. So when I left Seattle, I moved to LA to pursue acting because I couldn't do any of that when I was in Seattle. There was just no market for it. So I moved to LA and it was a huge shock for me. It was so different than Seattle. And oh man, it was so hard for me. And, uh, and also too, with how expensive it is to live in Los Angeles, doing nails during the day just wasn't going to cut it. So I found myself at 30 years old, back working in strip clubs again at night. And I have to tell you, it was horrible. I, I was so humiliated that I even gotten back to that point. I felt like I'd gone, come so far that I would never have to go back to that again. That my life would look so differently. How did I get here again? But that was the only way that I survived was making that money at night. Now, simultaneously, I was in and out of sobriety and working with a sponsor at the time. And she was listening to me and how I was talking. And she said, wow, you know, there's a spiritual center out here called Agape. And I really think that would be your jam. I think you should go check it out. And I was totally open to that. And so I went and checked out the spiritual center called Agape. And long story short, I started taking classes there and started um, attending the services there on Wednesday nights and on Sundays and finding service positions there. And it just lit me up. It was, it was like I'd found my home away from home. It was finally something with all of my searching and experimenting and trying to find something that worked for me, especially through going through the 12 steps and trying to find a God of my own understanding. I wanted to make sense of why I'm still here, why I'm alive. I I wanted to find my own truth. Now, as I'm going through these classes with meditation and visioning and, you know, getting in touch with my heart and opening up, and I had committed to working with my new spiritual practitioner, Amy, every week for six months, I worked with her and that was a hundred bucks a pop at the time. So for me, it was a lot. And, but I was committed to it because I knew that the way that she made me feel was a different type of counseling than I'd ever been in before. And it opened, it broke me open. And I was able to begin to look at parts of myself and my family and things that had gone on in my life. And there was so much love poured all over all of it. And so I just kept going to classes. I kept working with Amy. I kept showing up at Agape. I just kept doing all of that in the midst of still struggling with this kind of party lifestyle, in and out of sobriety, and still dancing at night. So I remember clearly... I used to go to services on Wednesday night at Agape when they had them there um, in Culver City. And I would go on Wednesday nights and I would leave right before 9 p.m. because I had to get to the club before 9 p.m. Otherwise, I'd have to pay more money because I got there late. So basically, I would go to Agape first to get fed, to to be lifted up. You know, I just worked my day job all day long. I would go there just to be fed, to be lifted up, to to feel to feel good. And then I would go to the strip club at night and I would resent everyone there. I was shameful about what I was doing. I hated where I was. You know, I would have to drink in order to do my job. And I just felt like there was this like this drastic good and evil going on, this duality. 
of like, why can't I get out of this? I don't want to be here. I don't like these people. And obviously I wasn't making very much money when I would go to work because I basically was just in a bad place, a bad, you know, I, I was so unhappy being there, but I felt like I had to do it in order to, to, uh, pay my bills and things like that. So I was speaking to my spiritual counselor, Amy, about this one week, and I was telling her what I just told you about how I felt about that and how it was really hard for me to feel the same way there at work like I do at Agape. And that, gosh, the people at Agape are so loving and so wonderful and so open and so affectionate and so, you know, unconditional. And yet I go there and it's just so different and I can't stand everyone there. And she was like, okay, I'm going to give you a little bit of an experiment. Next time you go to the club and work, you know, we've been talking a lot about love. We've been talking a lot about spirit. She, you know, at first, by the way, when I first started going to her, I was very uncomfortable with the word God. I didn't like the word God. It had a stigma to it for me. And so she said, okay, cool. Let's not call it God then. Why don't we call it the vibe? And she had me recognize the vibe in my body. So I'm actually going to take you there with me just for a moment. So what she did with me was she had me close my eyes. So I invite you to close your eyes for a moment and just begin to take a a couple conscious breaths in through your nose, out through your mouth. And as you're doing that, become aware in your body, whether it's in your heart space or maybe in the palms of your hands or in your wrists or maybe your feet, wherever you feel the pulse, wherever you feel the vibe. Begin to become aware of the aliveness happening in your body. Also notice that you're not even having to think about when or if or how you have to take your next breath. That essentially your body is being breathed for you. And that it's just happening. It's working for you. That whatever you ate earlier, your food is being digested right now. You're not having to ask your body to do that. It just knows. Your heart is pumping blood throughout your body. All the systems in your body are working. There's an aliveness there. There's a vibe. And so that is what she invited me just to become aware of, was that aliveness happening within me. And that it's taking care of me without me having to think about it. I don't have to make it happen. I don't have to force it. I don't have to fight it. I don't have to struggle. That this vibe is always there if I choose to close my eyes, become still, take a breath, and just feel it in my body. Notice the movement behind your eyes. That is how I was first introduced to this new idea of just maybe what God could be, that it's alive within me. It's alive within you. It's alive within nature. It's alive within flowers. It's alive within the sky, the stars, the moon, all the systems, all the functions. There's an aliveness happening all the time. And it's beautiful. And it's working for us. And so I was beginning to to step into that realm of having a new understanding for me 
of who and what God is for me. This might not be something that resonates with you, but again, like I I invited in the beginning is just to be open, just to be open, to listen, and just to allow this conversation to happen. And maybe you might just get one nugget out of it. For me, it was a healing point. And it was a shape shifter within my nervous system, within my heart, and knowing that I'm never alone and that I always have this vibe happening within my body, this love, beauty, kindness, aliveness that has my back. And so with that was when she gave me the little experiment to do the next time I left Agape and was feeling really high and charged and loved and swaddled and taken care of. And to take that same idea, that same idea of how I viewed every single person there at Agape, Reverend Michael speaking, even Amy herself, my practitioner, the love that I felt for all of those people there, the acceptance, the beauty, the kindness, the the God, the vibe that exists within all of those people to go to the club that night and to see the same thing within every single person there. The door guy, the VIP guy, the waitresses, the bartenders, my fellow dancers that were working with me, my manager, and the customers that were there. To see them also as a child of God, to see them as their true nature of being here on purpose with a purpose, to know that they are loved and taken care of and that they have that same vibe existing within them that I do within myself. And so does everybody at Agape or your church or wherever it is that you find that feeling. Because it doesn't exist just in one place. It doesn't exist just within just a few people. God doesn't pick and choose. Spirit doesn't pick and choose. The universe doesn't pick and choose. We all come from the same source. We all come from the same source. And it literally transformed my idea of the oneness that exists within all of us. And right then, there was a palpable change, a shift that began to happen when I was still working in those nightclubs. I started making a ton of money. And by the way, I wasn't dancing at all. I was talking with people. I was connecting with them. The door guys, the floor people, the waitresses, the dancers, the back the backstage people, the DJ, and the customers. And what I realized is that we human beings, all of us, have this innate natural need and 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 desire. We're wired for this to be loved, to be seen, to be heard to be recognized, and that we all are working with our stuff. None of us are exempt from the bullshit of life. And I say that with a lot of love. I say that so that we can all recognize one another on this journey together and to give each other a little bit of room. So what happened for me in the strip club is that I found what I needed and what I was searching for for a long time. This place that I went to that I had so much shame and guilt and resentment towards the other people being there for who they were, who I thought they were. And I was able to change my perspective, to open my heart, to change my mind about what I had always thought it was. And I had a profound experience with other people, with other human beings 
spiritual beings having this beautiful human experience where we're all just doing the best we can, man. And that doesn't mean that it's going to look the way that everybody else thinks it's supposed to or should look in that way. But when we show up with love and kindness and patience and pause, miracles begin to happen. And shortly after that, I was able to gracefully leave that career dancing and I had, I've never gone back since and I haven't needed to. And it was like the spell had been broken after that because I was no longer ashamed of it. I knew that I needed to go through that experience in order to find out what I needed to know about who I am and about who we all are. That we're all children of God, that we are all, we're all, we all deserve to be loved. We all deserve to be seen and we all deserve to have a redo. We all deserve to begin again. And so someone else, or even myself, could hold judgment and could hold shame over myself for the choices I've made, the places I've been, and the things that I've done. But I don't. That is why I love working with other people. That's why I love working with folks who have gone through religious trauma. Folks who are looking for their own definition of God, of love to make sense of it. That's why I love working with women who have come out of or who still are in the sex industry because they're not they're not unlike you or me. We all have a story behind the story and it all deserves to be heard and seen and loved with care and kindness and to know that none of us have it all figured out. There's no, there's no real human perfection. There's spiritual perfection. The truth of who we are is perfect, whole, complete, never hurt, harmed, or endangered. And that is what I know, and that is what I learned from my experience of being a stripper, being in the strip club, again, holding a old shameful secret, and now using that as one of my biggest assets to help others make sense of it for them and to thrive and to show up as the beautiful light that they are, as I am, as you are. And so I'm going to stop there. That was a tough one to get out. I feel like all of them are, but once I finally open up, I'm able to just speak my truth. And I thank you again for joining me here. I hope that you've gotten something from this and I love you very much. Thank you for being here with me. And I so look forward to being with you again next week for episode six. I hope you have a beautiful week. Goodbye for now. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of open at the top. If you totally dug what you heard today and you found it to be valuable, please share this with a friend. And of course, if you haven't done so already, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions for me or comments, any topic ideas, or if you might even want to be a guest on my show, you can reach me directly at melaniemcully.com. And please don't forget to connect with me on social media. It's at Melanie McCulley on both Instagram and Facebook. Until next time.